Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration, the film podcast that hits the cinematic tarmac on a road trip to find the finest filmic stop-offs on our way through the stories of celluloid. Will we find the movie equivalent of a lovely off-map yoga retreat replete with Guinness imported direct from Dublin? A personal choice. (laughs) Or will we find a grim gas station jammed to the gills with glory holes? I'm Robin Hero, Simon and James! (laughs) I always love how the most wholesome ones just go down the darkest alley after Your reactions were worth everything there. I'm so pink. That was, if I could have put money on what was going to come out of your mouth there, I would not have guessed glory holes. I do like to surprise, even though I really need a shower now. Even having just God, I think said we it. all do. Jeez Louise. Uh, well, which will it be tonight? Who, Who knows? knows? We'll Who find knows? out. Who do you think came up with the glory hole to begin with? <laughs> Like, oh gosh! Was there just a hole somewhere, and someone just stuck his member <laughs> through it? it. <laughs> and thus, the glory hole was born. But I don't know why. I don't know why it's called that. I have no idea why it's called that. Um, <laughs> listeners, you know, <laughs> get in touch. <laughs> We've gone off the rails really early tonight. Oh dear, uh, oh. boys, how are you? you okay, yeah, good. Yeah, good. You. Yes. Oh, good. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Um, what have you guys been watching? <laughs> <laughs> well, if it was two thousand and like five, me, it would have been some glory hole videos. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't know what you've done wrong. We're never going to recover from this. Now. <laughs> Cinema, movies, movies, full in background. Uh, James, what have you been watching? Uh, so, uh, okay, uh, have you guys heard of a film called Deep Cover? I think so. No, but I'm not sure. Enlighten me. All right, so this is a searing undercover cop neo-noir from 1992 that skillfully combines a sadly still relevant rebuke of America's cynical hypocrisy when it comes to the war on drugs with plenty of down-and-dirty genre thrills as well. Despite being slightly heavy-handed in its messaging, the film remains both riveting and pretty electrifying thanks to an abundance of style, a pulsating early 90s soundtrack, flashes of brutal violence and a pair of top-tier performances from pod favourites Larry Fishburne and Jeff Goldblum. Holy I have never heck. heard of this movie. It's also directed by Bill Duke, a.k.a. Mac. No! Oh, my God. Where is no! this film available? I want it right now. So I'd never seen it before, but it was heavily discounted during this month's Criterion sale, and based on the achingly cool artwork alone, I simply had to have it. I mean, look at this. Oh, my God. Oh, my word. Here we go. Got- Can you guys see that? Oh, I do. Ah! I recall seeing that cover. Wow, that looks amazing. Look at that poster. That's insane. Uh, For the listeners, this is just uh, Larry Fishburne looking. He is Larry in this as well. Looking cool as anything in like deep purple with dollar bills and all sorts. Yeah, Yeah, it's just gorgeous, (laughs) isn't it? Oh, my yeah, word. Yeah, so that was enjoyed thoroughly. Wow, that is going straight on what, the top of the list. That sounds amazing. 
It really is that. Yeah, I can't it's, wait. it's potentially one for the pod as well. So, you know, I don't think it was an unsuccessful film, but maybe one that people have not uh, heard of that much or and certainly underseen. Mm. Um, awesome. uh, so I also want to update you guys on a couple of cinema trips that I've had over the last couple of weeks. So uh, I went to see Bodies, 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 in which a bunch of nihilistic, permanently online Gen Zers get high, play a murder mystery parlor game during a hurricane party, which is apparently a real thing, and things turn deadly. It's sort of like Euphoria meets Agatha Christie. As a whodunit, it's not especially strong, as I'm sure you guys can attest. I'm not an especially smart, smart man. Disagree. And I deduced how things would, would play out very early on. <laughs> Uh, but daft as it sounds, this is honest, that's honestly a bit of a minor quibble. Uh, the film has way more on its mind than the plot mechanics of a mystery and offers up a kinetic, claustrophobic and savagely funny, not to mention bloody, insight into the online generation with their, and it has this electronic score that absolutely slaps. It's really, really good. Uh, I also wanted to give a special shout-out to Rachel Sennott, who, um, an actress in the film uh, in particular who is an absolute riot as an unsuccessful podcaster and as such she has all the best lines and had me howling at that I felt seen by this character <laughs> <laughs> oh this sounds great as well yeah so that's really good who doesn't it seem to be really in at the moment because there's that other film um, see how they run You've got knives mm. out 2 coming out later this year with the worst title in the whole world glass onion, glass onion. Do we know what it means yet, or will it be, will be revealed in the film? I don't know. It's probably to do with Daniel Craig. Oh, he's, not go, no, he's not James Bond at all. <laughs> I wonder how much he's getting paid for this. That'll get right up oh, Rob's nose. Lovely. Honestly. <laughs> Still livid. So, yeah, anyway, they seem to be really in at the moment, and I, for one, are enjoying them. I'm planning to go and see, um, see how they run next week because uh, it looks very funny. And it's got Sam Rockwell mm. and Saoirse Ronan in it, amongst many others. Mm. Also, I just wanted to um, shout out something else. So I went to see uh, a little-known film called Avatar on the big screen once again. Oh, that in, that small Ooh. independent movie from like 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> saw it in uh, high frame rate 3D. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to review Avatar. You've either seen it or you haven't. It's the... <laughs> It's the highest grossing film of all time. He hasn't seen Avatar. Every, everyone in you the world. You would think everybody who's <laughs> listening to this podcast will have seen Avatar. But yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it, despite all its flaws. You know, it's over-familiar story and Sam Worthington's not great. I don't know how he went from this is going to be Matt Damon to this is going to be this unknown Australian guy who nobody's ever heard of. But there must have been a middle ground that you mm. could have found with, between mm. those two actors. But know. he's fine. He's absolutely fine. I, I'm not sure he's ever been better than in Rogue. Oh, yeah, of oh, course he was, yeah, wasn't he? Was he was good in Rogue, yeah. yeah. Ah, it's because he doesn't have to do an accent in that one. He showed his bum. That's how we saw him. Yeah, first. he was like the, the drunken the drunken yeah, that's Australian true. redneck, wasn't he? Yes. But then became yeah. uh, a bit of a hero. Yeah, he was good in that. But uh, sadly, I must report, guys, that once again we've got poor cinema etiquette. Perhaps oh, this no. needs to become no. a, become a, um, a feature on the pod, like Bigfoot Corner, which I'm very much looking forward to later in the show. <laughs> so anyway, I'm, I'm watching the film in 3D. I'm back in Pandora with all those 
blue nine foot cats and I'm very much enjoying it. And, um, you know, we're moving through. It's very immersive Avatar when you see it on the big screen, which is the only way to really to see it. I think watching it at home, it just doesn't have the same effect. And I don't think I ever have watched it at home. So we're moving through the jungles of Pandora and uh, I see like, oh, there's like mist at the bottom of the screen. I'm like, oh, fucking it! This is really immersive DX. stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, that's very inc- incredible use of 3D. And then I could smell the mist, and I was like, what's going on here? Oh no! Uh, so I took my 3D glasses off. Guy two rows down, he's vaping during oh, the my film. God. Huh. <laughs> what a good noise! Though. Sorry, it's like a like like. Mod 2022 Cape Fear, just this. Yeah. Well, that's why I didn't confront him on it in case he was a Robert De Niro type, <laughs> Max Caddy type, and like stalked me forever and murdered me in a boat. Oh, my word. But uh, yeah, so that happened. And it happened on like four or five occasions, but I also didn't think that I could bring it up because one, I thought it was actually part of the presentation. <laughs> <laughs> like at every screening, they've got this, some little dude puffing on a vape going like, yeah. it's a 4D experience, mate. And two, basically, the uh, <laughs> on the moment that he did it during the film for the first time, it actually added to the atmosphere. <laughs> 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 I mean, I know it's quite long, but it's not that long that you need to be cracking the vape out 20 minutes in. <laughs> I think I'd like to hear, because these stories, I, you love hearing them, but they infuriate, they wind you up hearing them, just hearing them, <laughs> yeah. like gets like stuck in your teeth. So uh, listeners, please, could you send us your examples of bad cinema etiquette, please? Absolutely. Um, send it through on Twitter at FYR Film Pod, or uh, do we have an email address? We do, we but we to. never check it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what it is. Reconsiderpod at gmail.com. That's, that's the one. Reconsiderpod at gmail.com. Yeah. Send it there and we will start to check it, actually. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Although we did get some weirdo in there, didn't we? We did. Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah. We did. I can't yeah. remember that. Yeah, yeah. that was. That's weird. probably why we don't check it anymore. I hope he's not listening. No. <laughs> <laughs> or I hope he is. I hope he is. I hope he's still well, sending us messages. <laughs> um,. Awesome. So, um, well, not awesome about that, but well, um, yeah. I mean, I watched Avatar. It was I very much enjoyed it. Again, get me back to Pandora. I'm ready for the Way of Water. I, I know. I, I've loved the, <laughs> um, the the sort of U-turn a lot of film writers have made on Avatar because everyone kind of was really snarky towards Avatar mm. in recent years, weren't they? And you know, have your problems with the story, whatever, but you can't deny like how the technical achievement, you just you know, incredible it is. You cannot at all. And I like how everyone's getting back on it now, and it's like it's actually we've seen some, you know, thirty minutes of it, and it is absolutely amazing. And that's like across the board, yeah. like everyone who's seen it is just See, going, "This will, so this will you. blow your mind," like the original one did. It's mm. quite simple. Can't it's wait. just that it looks better than anything that's come out in the last five years. Still, I don't know how he's how they've managed that. I think they just take more time. Yeah, mm. I think so. And it's directed by a real director who knows his way around action sequences, despite working in a completely virtual environment. And three, there's there's proper stakes in Avatar, whether you think the, the story's garbage or not. Like, characters that you get to know over that, they get fucking killed in the last third. <laughs> I, know, I, re- I really like the story. I know people yeah. moan about it, but I really like the story. Um, so, yeah, sorry, Sai, what have you been watching? Um, sorry, I, I thought you were saying something else. 
<laughs> no, I, I was, was still, not. still drinking, mind you. Um, yeah, you know, after my um, after me mentioning my marathon of the purge when we last spoke uh, during Event Horizon, I think it was, I carried riding the Paul W S Anderson train and watched all of the Resident Evil movies, incredible, which I hadn't actually seen before. I'd only seen the first one, so I was like, oh, "I'm going to watch all these," and yeah, by and large, really enjoyed them. Um, I mean, like they're really rubbish in a lot of ways, <laughs> to be <laughs> yeah. But by the last one, they're all ninety minutes and just really fun. They're all cut like a million miles an hour, which is a bit headache-inducing in some parts, but it's good. But yeah, the the third one in particular, which is like the series Mad Max-style post-apocalyptic survival movie in the desert, it's like in Nevada, it's genuinely really good. Like, it's a really good film. You could pull that out as a single movie and just call it something else, and it would get away with being like a really good film, I think. The others are kind of in the category of like, so bad they're good. But no, that one's that one's really great. So yeah, I recommend the cool. third one. I can't remember what it's called. It'll have some retribution, like, generic yeah, retribution or revelation. They or all something. yeah, the names. <laughs> I don't know, but the third one anyway, the one in the desert. <laughs> I also went to the cinema to watch uh, James. You mentioned it before. Um, the very meta period who done it. See how they run. I checked that out at the cinema, which it, you know, it's the feature film debut of um, Tom George. Um, British, British Tom George. Um, but yeah, I thought it was really, really good. Really enjoyed it. Um, cool. It's very funny, you know, as you'd expect from the director of this country, from the BBC. I don't know if you guys ever watched that. I've ne- um, I, everyone says it's really good. I've never, I've never gotten around to it. It's, it's really, really funny. I mean, it's that sort of like fake documentary office oh, style, right, yeah. but in in um, Swindon way in the countryside. But it's really, really funny. And yeah, this is his first feature film. Cool. But yeah, it's got like the, a typical British cynical, self-deprecating tone uh, that's propped up just by like a whole heap of amazing, charming performances. Um, in particular, from Shersha Ronan, who's like the bumbling sidekick to Sam Rockwell's alcoholic detective. Adrian Brody's really good in it. He's like the, the the sort of victim of the who done it. And then David Oyelowo, who is just hilarious as the um, an extravagant and melodramatic screenwriter with the rather splendid name of Mervyn Cocker Norris. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really good. Um, it does occasionally suffer from the like Edgar Wright school of filmmaking with like blatant foreshadowing and, and, and whatnot. But I mean, that's like small stuff to get frustrated over. I think most people won't be really bothered about that. It's very British though. I don't think it would translate that well across the pond just because the humour in it is so specifically British. Um, but yeah, I had a jolly good time with it. I thought it was I thought it was a very good trip to the cinema. It was yeah, it was great. It was really good. Awesome. I think um uh Saoirse Ronan is going to become a national treasure, I think. She's amazing in everything. In Ireland, she does. I think she already is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think she's absolutely outstanding. Yeah, she's amazing. Her range is she can do everything. And she was a child actor as well, and usually they don't go on to have big successful adult careers but yeah she's she's one of the best out there at the minute she's amazing she's really mm. good but yeah she's she can do comedy now as well um she's great in it so many strings to the bow yeah awesome awesome what have you been watching rob well i actually i've done a podcast record with our wonderful chris goldie on the uh the text oh, yes. podcast um, hi chris what a gent what a gentleman chris goldie is um listeners get over there to the tapes podcast listen to all their awesome stuff but he is doing a um john carpenter season which i know you've been a part of haven't you james i have yes i got to do prince of darkness which was awesome. a right laugh 
Oh, well. That movie is off its tits. It's so good. <laughs> I think we're on a similar wavelength then, in which case, because um, I wanted to do... Um, he, he he said on our... Because we have like a little pod dojo uh, WhatsApp group, don't we? Yes. And he said, would anyone like to do In the Mouth of Madness? And I was like, um, well, I'd love to go back on the tapes because I love going on there. What is In the Mouth of Madness? And imagine my glee when I found out it's a 1994 Sam Neill movie about a writer <laughs> so i'm like oh my god you know sign me up so um i watched it i'd never heard of it um it's sam neill one year after jurassic park and if you enjoyed his performance in event horizon no no <laughs> you will absolutely love this he is he there's a point the movie opens with him being committed to um, an asylum and you can imagine how much fun he has with that. To the point that one, like, and there's no spoilers in this, but he's being committed and he doesn't want to be committed. And he kicks someone in the, you know, between the legs. And they eventually get him in the, <laughs> in the cell. And he turns to the door and he says, I'm sorry about the balls. <laughs> <laughs> no, he is just, it's one of his greatest ever performances. It's brilliant. And the movie's absolutely insane. It's essentially, it's about, um, uh, a horror writer called Sutter Kane, who's played by uh, Jürgen Prochnow. And there's so much great cast in this. Oh, sorry, Siri thought, oh, Siri's given me some information about In the Mouth of Madness. Thank you, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Prochnow's gone missing. Sorry, Sutter Kane has gone missing. Modelled on Stephen King. But, but word is that you can, reading his works has a big effect on you. So he's a billion, you know, a billion copy best-selling author. Um, so Sam Neill is this super cynical insurance investigator who thinks that this is all part of publicity, that he's gone missing and stuff, trying to finish his last book. And he starts reading it and just unravels, and it's part road trip, part creature feature, all bananas. <laughs> and it's so much fun. I had the best time with it. So check it out. If only to hear Sam Neill talk about balls and go, no, <laughs> it's, it's superb um, and pretty sick as well, actually. Yeah, I've had it on my list for a long time. I've nearly watched all of Carpenter's works and I've got that and his very last film, The Ward, to tick off. Um, so, yeah, the In the Mouth of Madness has been on my list for a long time. Oh, you will love it, man. Um, the uh, other thing that I've watched is... My children um, really like Spider-Man. They're not, they, they like the overall MCU stuff, but they're not overly fussed, but they really love Spider-Man. So we had two back-to-back -back family movie nights with, because uh, we've seen Homecoming, so we watched Far From Home and No Way Home. Now, obviously, having not watched any of the other Marvel movies, I was a bit lost. <laughs> but I really enjoyed them both, and I cried like, an, like a stuck pig. Do they cry? I've no idea. I cried like one um, in No Way Home repeatedly. I, it was fabulous. Yeah, this is why Tom Holland is very, very good as Spider-Man Peter he Parker is. because he really sells the uh, emotive bits like better than anyone in that universe. I think in, in I hate saying universe, but he really does. I, I think he's a fabulous Spider-Man. But when when they when when the 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 other ones came back, and I just thought they were so well handled. I mean, spoiler alert, everyone. Um, hope you 
don't have any intentions of seeing this, so I've yeah. ruined it for if you. If you haven't seen it already, then you're probably never going to. Yes, yeah. Well, like, I always wanted to until this past weekend, and then suddenly I have. But um, they are bolstered by good performance. Like, in Far From Home, um, Jake Gyllenhaal is great. He has mm, loads he is, to he that is. movie. Um, Tom Holland is a really good, legit, really good Spider-Man. But when they brought Tobey Maguire back, I cried like a... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it was just all over the place. Like, and and again, the children were like turned to look at me because I'd done like one of them sobs, like, <gasps> <laughs> when he walked through the little thing. You know, when he walked through the little Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange walked through the little <laughs> little wormhole thing. Um, and uh, oh, and then when Garfield came back, and Garfield, there was that lovely bit where Garfield has it again. Massive spoilers. Garfield's like having a like. I'm, I'm nothing. You guys are amazing, and I'm nothing. You know, and like Tobey Maguire's like, no, you're not. You're, you know, you're brilliant. You're amazing. You know, it's like it's too deep for me. You know, like there's too is meta the word? I guess it is. You know, yeah, like it, it's yeah. it's too it was too much for me. So yeah, I cried helplessly and really enjoyed them. And I think what it means is we're going to try and watch some more Marvel movies. Um, oh. I've given up trying to watch them in order because that ship sailed ages ago. They're for children anyway. You don't need to watch them. You'll pick it up. It'll be fine. Oh, no, but like when I started watching, I can't remember which one it was, and they were like, hey, the blip. Do you remember the blip? And I'm like, no, what's that? <laughs> what is that? Uh, and oh, then they're yeah, like, oh, we'll... tricky, actually. It was... And then <laughs> it took, honestly, it took me 40 minutes of the movie. Like, So one of the guys is, you know, he was blipped, and now he's 25 or something. I, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But I don't care. But dead sweet. Loved it. Great stuff. Really enjoyed it. Would like to watch... One of the Captain America ones next, I think. I'd like to watch Civil War. I've never watched that one, so I'd like to watch that one. Have you watched Iron Man 3? I have, yeah. Really Yeah, funny. that one's really good. It was good, yeah. Shane Black one, Kingsley yeah. was absolutely incredible in that one. Yeah. I know, he got absolutely slated, and he was. it was such a great twist in it. Iron it Man really was, was wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, really fun fact, I used to deliver medications to his mum in Salford. Oh, wow, that yeah. is a fun fact. She had a framed photograph of Ben on her mantelpiece. Oh. Um, Yes. Lovely anyway, uh, lovely lady. Uh, anyway, um, before we move on to tonight's movie, I would like to take a trip. It's a it's a heck of a ride. This one to, well, we're going to discuss something called the casino footage when we go to Bigfoot Corner. Bigfoot Corner. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. So, boys, welcome to Bigfoot Corner, where we discuss the latest from the world of Bigfoot. How has this become a regular feature? Absolutely nobody knows. <laughs> well, it's out of our control. We just <laughs> get so, right, I was listening to... I usually listen to Sasquatch Chronicles. Like, who knew that there are loads of, like, rival Sasquatch podcasts, right? Um, but I'd maxed out on Sasquatch Chronicles. I got, I got, I'd listened to them all. Um, which eight hundred and fifty episodes? That is a lot of eight hundred and fifty episodes. That is a lot of <laughs> Bigfoot content. It, it is a lot. Yes, <laughs> a lot of content, and they've not found it. <laughs> well, well, here's what I'm about to tell you. Oh, oh, oh naysayers. <laughs> um, turns out they they're quite. You know, like, there's quite a rivalry between all these podcasts, and I quite like the internecine politics of it all. Um, about, essentially, a fictional creature. I didn't say that. You guys said that. I didn't say I, that. I mean, I generally didn't. You said it. <laughs> 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 you Bigfoot gun and badge. <laughs> so, on, on rival podcast Bigfoot Odyssey, that's a rival to 
Sasquatch Chronicles, not us. We're not a Bigfoot podcast, although you would be forgiven for thinking. Um, so they he they had an author on. We'll call him John, but you can find him. He he's written something called Kiamachi Bigfoot about the Big Brown Machine, um, and he said this story that really piqued my interest. And it was about the 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 guy on the thing said, "And you've seen the casino footage, right?" And I was like, what is the casino footage? So I did some, you know, internet digging. Turns out it's like one of the biggest well-kept secrets in, uh, and what's the word? Uh, what do they call it? Like a... Culture? Cro- Bigfoot no, culture? Controversy. <laughs> culture! <laughs> it's a controversy in the Bigfoot world. So turns out, you know how these um, American states, some of them have casino resorts, Yes. You know, where they've managed to hold yeah, on to the reservations, certain, right, yeah. the reservations, yeah. Well, one of them needed some help, and they called in the BFRO, which is the Bigfoot Field Research Organization. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the experts was this author, John, this writer, John. So he Who went there. Who funds that organization? Well, you'd be amazed. <laughs> <laughs> so... They went up there to this. It was a four-hour drive for most of them to get to this um, reservation. And they were shown this footage. And (laughs) sorry, I'm laughing at what comes next now. So the footage rolls and it's out at the dumpsters at the back. It's a snowy evening. And sure enough, from the left hand of frame towards the right hand of frame where these dumpsters are, a a large Sasquatch, (laughs) nine feet tall, walks in. And with a stick starts poking in the bins <laughs> and rooting around and, and all this kind of stuff. And um, they said, what do we do about it? You know, the resort the, the resort were like, what the hell do we do? It's, it's like it's a vermin issue, but it's kind of pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out on the spot, the head honcho of the BFRO is this guy called, and I'm not making this up, Matt Moneymaker. <laughs> And he offered them $29,000 on the spot. What a funny arbitrary fee uh, for... Not 30. The, not the original 25. tape. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was getting his money's worth for the original tape. Here's 29K. Um, and the urban legend from this is that he accepted the deal. They accepted the deal. He keeps the tape under lock and key. Always has. Um, other people say he destroyed it. He won't say for sure where this tape is. But um, it, apparently it contains... Irrefutable proof, proof that the big brown oh. machine is real. Um, but no one can see it. No one so. can see it. Um, some would say that Matt Moneymaker um, <laughs> might be hiding this because it might not be, you know, it might be. He be might tr- He'd yeah. make a lot more money if he released it, surely. I'm thinking that because so, those guys it? that released the um, alien autopsy footage from, um, you know, Roswell, that was all. Uh, rubbish as well like um so there's a brilliant actually there's another uh, brilliant podcast um where this guy was telling about how he was the guy who built the alien for the autopsy and how he did it you know it was outstanding right this isn't becoming a regular feature as well you know so what i was going to say is um Listeners, don't worry. I will keep my eyes open for the casino footage. And if it ever emerges, you'll be the first to know about it. Um, I'm sure in, everyone is relieved to hear that, Rob. I um, think they are. Happy. Also, um, in, as a, just a, a rope point of note, uh, they still haven't found him. So, um, you know, there we go. Bigfoot Corner. Wow. Bigfoot Corner.
Lovely. That was big news. Big, big news in the world. Massive of news. Yeah, yeah I'm, massive news. I'm not sure news. we can recover from that. I yeah. don't, well, I don't know. Should we try to recover by <laughs> watching a Bill Paxton movie? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, Sai, what have you got for us? Um, yes. Um, when a mysterious, handsome man who regularly relaxes without his top on <laughs> arrives at the offices of an FBI agent, he begins to recount his childhood and reveals how his religious, fanatical father, who looks a lot like the guy from Twister, may have influenced the motives of the city's latest serial killer. This is Bill Paxton's 2001 directorial debut, Frailty. You the agent in charge of the case? That's right. What can I do for you? I'm here because I can't live with what I know anymore. Listen, this may sound a little bit crazy, but I know who the God's Hand killer is. What makes you think that? He hadn't even heard me out yet, and already you doubt me. They were raised to obey their father. Go do some homework. To love him. To trust him. Night, boys. Sleep tight. Don't let those bed bugs bite. Until... Wake up. I've got something to tell you. Hey, what's wrong? There are demons among us. I can see the demons while other people can. I'm scared, Dad. Nothing that crazy could be real. The angel told me that God would be sending weapons. Maybe you just dreamed it. Maybe you're not right in the head. God will be sending a list of the first seven demons. These are people's names. And they'll look like people. They're not. Dad made up this whole thing. Do you understand? Well, if it has to be done, it has to be done. Is that true? Why would I make it up? It's all a big lie. I don't want to run away. You are hiding something from me. What is it you think I'm hiding? When I lay my hands on them, I'll reveal them for what they truly are. I got a pretty good idea of what them bodies are. I'll tell. Craziest thing I've heard in a long time. Check the Rose Garden. I don't believe a word of it. But it's true. Bill Paxton. Those were demons. Why can't you see that? Matthew McConaughey. Tell me the truth. Sometimes truth defies reason. You're crazy! Only demons should fear me. You're not a demon, are you? So, Simon, frailty. Bill Paxton's directorial debut. Why did you bring this to the podcast? <laughs> well, I mean, do you want another reason other than me being massively caught off guard during the last recording? <laughs> I <to> just <laughs> randomly point out a page and this as well. Why not? Unless, I mean, you, you rode that wave perfectly last time. I mean, that that's what happened. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it has been on my list for a while and I am kind of taking liberties with this one a wee bit because I don't think it strictly qualifies. But Having heard that Knife review had seen it, you know, maybe it's one of those lesser known movies that I think deserves some attention and therefore we can talk about it. So it's more of a for your consideration this week rather than Ooh. reconsideration. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think after 90 episodes, we're allowed to bend the rules a little bit. Yeah, there's been a couple here and there. This is just that sort of slightly cheating route. <laughs> Nice, nice. So, um, what about your relationship with the movie? I mean, like, did you see it when it first came out? Uh, well, yeah, this movie was actually brought to my attention by my brother when we were teenagers, um, and he really sold it to me uh, on its by its premise. I mean, you know, if he was doing the elevator pitch to the studio, they would have greenlit it straight away. <laughs> really sold it to me, and I remember seeing it being directed by Bill Paxton, who I was obviously like a huge fan of, you know, in terms of his work in front of the camera. So yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting movie in a lot of ways. I remember watching it and, and being like, ooh, this is good. 
Um, and something a bit different as well. So, yeah, a, a risky one possibly. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of thinking, hoping that it's something you would jive with. But I have no idea. So it's a, this is the first first one for me anyway, where it's a proper like, ooh, will anyone like it? Who knows? But, yeah. <laughs> if you don't like it, you really snide on God bless Bill Paxton who passed away. Right, well that's out of order. So, <laughs> you know, if you want to, if you want to slag off the dead, that's you know that's on you guys. So. But, he, but he's in exalted company around here. He might. Is this a, a hall of fame appearance for him, or is he already in the hall? I of mean, fame? He's, I he's, everybody loves Bill Paxton, don't they? Anyway? Yeah, everyone does love Bill Paxton. Yeah. Absolutely. You re- they really do. Uh, James, what about you? What about your relationship with Frailty? Uh, yeah, as Simon uh, touched upon there, I've never seen it before. There was a time about five years ago where it had been on Netflix for ages and it would keep coming. I had it in my queue and it would keep coming up. And then for whatever reason, I just never clicked on it um, and probably went and watched Is It Cake instead or The Floor is Lava or <laughs> 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 And there's no reason why I shouldn't have clicked on it because, you know, I love Bill Paxton. Matthew McConaughey is really good. The premise sounded very interesting, but I just never, I never clicked on it. I thought, oh, I'll just get around to it. And then it was gone. And it's, uh, it's only available on rental now mm. as it stands. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, no, it's interesting for myself. I was aware of the poster. I did not know it was a Bill Paxton joint. Uh, until um, you mentioned it, Si. I had no idea. I have to be honest, I didn't know he directed. So unless there's, you know, I'm being hugely thick and ignorant, which is also a massive possibility. No, um, he, he's, he's only, I think he only did two films, maybe, and yeah, a right. short, a couple of shorts, possibly. Um, he definitely didn't do a lot of directing stuff. Yeah. This was his first feature, I think. Yeah. The second right, film right. I quickly looked up is a period golf drama starring Shia LaBeouf. Oh, the Shia LaBeouf one, yeah. <laughs> what? Yes, that he made a few years after this. I don't think he's in that one. What's it called? The Greatest Game Ever Played. Well, that needs to be viewed. I, I imagine <laughs> it, it being a period golf drama, it probably didn't do gangbusters at the box yeah. <laughs> Shia LaBeouf in a in a big baggy flat cap. I'm I'm excited, very excited to uh, to watch that. <laughs> I'm just yeah, just doing a bit of live googling. Yeah, oh yeah, there he is. Oh, it's it's about Francis We May. Oh, this is amazing. Uh, so sorry, in go- obviously as a golf fan, the the U.S. Open story of Francis We May is uh, is really famous. So that's amazing. I can't wait. That is probably going to get bumped up the list ahead of so many incredible films. Like The Irishman, <laughs> still not seen it, because I'm watching The Greatest Game Ever Played with Shia LaBeouf. Um, oh, I didn't mention, sorry, first watch for me, this one. Um, I, sorry, you mentioned it was kind of icky, the qualification, but James, numbers, was that a way in? Yeah, so box office-wise, the film grossed thir- just over $13 million at the box office in North America and a further four. Point three million at foreign theaters for a worldwide total of seventeen million uh, four hundred twenty-three thousand, against a budget of eleven million. When you factor in home video and foreign TV sales, it probably is in the in the black when all said and done. But anything that makes under twenty million dollars worldwide is hardly a hit. So while it doesn't necessarily qualify on the numbers, it is not a widely seen film. 
by any stretch of the imagination. Mm, that's interesting. Um, so very much an un- unseen and unknown movie, really. And if you look on Letterboxd as well, I think there's only about 3,000 reviews for it on, on that app. And, you know, like something like Spider-Man <laughs> uh, Far From Home has probably got like 200,000. So. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, it's, it's not, I don't think a lot of people have seen this film. Right. Um, no. Uh, yeah, I think um, I like these bringing these underknown gems. Well, I, you um, know, we oh, might... spoiler alert about my feelings. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm not surprised you haven't seen it, Rob. But uh, James, because <laughs> James hasn't seen it, that's probably that. That is also a qualification. Uh, if James hasn't seen it, we can bring it. Yeah, that that could be one of the new criteria. What if I haven't seen it? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think we, you know, technically we always go: is it rotten on Rotten Tomatoes? Is it did it underperform massively? Was it a bomb? But there's there is this sort of middle ground where something technically done okay, but has sort of left no impression and was really underseen. Where I think we can we can squeeze exceptions in for sure. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I think so. I think because it's an independent movie, isn't it? Um, yeah, and you know that they're not going to be marketed as big as like a blockbuster that bombs, which we would sort of talk about on here, but. Yeah, I think I think a, a film that's sort of of a certain age that obviously has not had a impact on the the film landscape going forward. Um, then yeah, that you can. Well, that one you mentioned before, James, is you know it, even if that did well at the box office and yeah did well on the on the on the crit, critical side, you could definitely bring deep cover to and I'm for really sure see that now. So critically then, Si, what uh, what did people make of Frailty? Yeah, you know, as mentioned, there is a wee bit of a rule break in terms of critics. Um, it did quite well. Uh, it's got a current Rotten Tomatoes rating of 75% for the critics and 78 for the audience. Um, Metacritic has it at a, a wee bit lower, actually, with the critics on 64, but it's a, a really high 8.5 with the public on that particular site. And a pretty decent... 3.5 on Letterboxd, but as James said, the numbers are quite low on that in terms of that. So that's probably where the average is, is, is slightly higher than what we'd usually cover. Um, but yeah, going back to the critics, um, Roger Ebert gave it his full four stars when he originally reviewed it, calling it an extraordinary work, concealing in its depths not only unexpected story turns, but also implications hidden at first that make it even deeper and even more sad. It's another week without Mick Sal, sadly. We need to bloody pick a film. Yeah, it's it's been a while. Mm. But yeah, really against the sort of general consensus is San Francisco Chronicle stand-in for that week. Gave it zero stars, (laughs) saying it was um, (laughs) dumb, but also dark and ugly, depriving the viewer of any camp value. Which is a bit weird because I don't think I don't think a film like should for. have cap value. Sort of Rocky Horror Picture Show, <laughs> Joel Schumacher movie. Like what? So yeah, I thought that was a, a bit of a strange. Frailty by Joel Schumacher. Imagine <laughs> strange. It's like the writers like it's not really what I had in mind, Joel. I didn't. Why is really it Dayglow? Why is this Dungeon the... Dayglow? <laughs> <laughs> Why is there a greasy saxophone player in the background? Um, but no, yeah, uh, generally speaking, there were more favourable reviews than not, um, with a lot of praise for Bill Paxton himself. Who, I think because he was one of the good guys of Hollywood, it seems, um, you know, and I think maybe that sort of translated over to the reviews. It was his first film. People may have been a bit nice to him, possibly. 
Um, or maybe he made a good film. Who knows? Um, but yeah, Jason Best of BBC said it was gripping, thought-provoking and disturbing, with Lou Lemenick of the New York Post calling it a genuinely creepy Southern Gothic thriller that once again proves that in horror movies, sometimes less is actually more. There were some problems with the violence that people had, and also there was maybe a misfire in the tone, which is what was sort of mentioned on a few of the more negative reviews. But I think generally it was it was pretty well received. Um, you know, certainly not to the sort of depths that the films were usually cover. Uh, there wasn't anyone completely slagging it off apart from that one random zero star review in the San Francisco Chronicle. But yeah, it was it was generally well received. So um we shouldn't really be doing this movie. Sorry about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, I think we should. I, I genuinely yeah, think I we do. should. Because as we say, not a lot of people have seen it. And, you know, spoiler alert, it's, it's a good movie. <laughs> nice. I was really yeah. worried. <laughs> no, no. I, I think I accidentally referred to it as a gem before, thereby giving away what I felt about yeah. it. So, yeah, no concerns there by me. Um, speaking of, should we dive in? Yeah, absolutely. Ooh, yeah. So we, we open with, um, oh, it's got that lovely feel. Um, of early 2000s cinema, doesn't it? Very early 2000s uh, cinema, doesn't it? Do you know what, Rob? That's the first thing. You know, it's like the back end of the 90s and it's not quite taken a leap forward yet in terms of yeah. cinema. And it does have that look to it and that music, the music cues are very late 90s, early noughties. Yeah. Um, even down to the old school Lionsgate logo before they became all fancy. Yeah, that was the first thing Ooh, I yeah. noted down. Is like, is that always been the Lionsgate logo? They, yeah. They've changed it since, surely. Well, I was thinking <laughs> of that when I saw Lionsgate, because they are an independent production company. What like, what was the film that made them like pop? Was it? Did they do oh, I Saw? Know. I think like, they might what, have. Let me... Oh, yeah. There's definitely be. something. I mean, I know they... They have did, changed the logo as well. That's they have changed it. It's really fancy now. But they did, mm-hmm. where, you know, where they when absolute blockbuster gangbusters was um hunger games was where they made their yeah. billions yeah but they do I, the john I, I wick series as well they do john wick now i'm trying there was definitely a film like back then in the i think it must have been after this i'm sure it was saw and it was like that independent low lowish budget film that just went yeah it was the saw series yeah yeah and then coined it in for them and then now they're you know they're just massive now because of that, and they can. They're obviously making these massive, massive budget films. But this was all before that, as you can tell with the old school logo. <laughs> they didn't even have money for a good logo. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's good. It's funny you say that, Rob, because it is that specific look, isn't it? It's very. It American. is, yeah. And it's very early noughties American, isn't it? Absolutely, and it's really comforting as well. For some reason, you know, for some reason, I find that that feel and aesthetic quite. Like comforting, I think it was because it was from a period of cinema where I started to pay much more attention to movies and what was making movies tick, um, and how they were made, and it just feels nice to me. But it takes me back to a nice time of hope. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's quite bleak. <laughs> when when the world wasn't to shit. So when was it? Two thousand and two thousand and one. Yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. On a serious point, though, does this film get made nowadays? Oh no, definitely. Really good question. It's a, yeah. a mini series, isn't it? It gets dragged out over four to six hours. Yeah. Needlessly, when you can tell a perfectly compelling psychological horror story in 90 minutes, as Paxton does here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this would for sure have got, would get the uh, prestige TV treatment now, and it wouldn't be as good. 
I really thought you were about to say prestige worldwide treatment. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, Will Ferrell as, uh, as the dad. I would like to see a shot-for-shot shot remake with Will Ferrell as Bill Paxton and, uh, and John C. Riley as Matthew McConaughey. Or well, maybe those two as the brothers and the dad as the dad from Step They're full-grown. It's their full-grown yeah. adult heads on child bodies. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm down with this. I am but, down but with nah, this. I, I think I think you're right, James. I, I definitely think it would be. I don't. Th- I don't. I'm not sure if it was based on a book, but it certainly got that as if it was based on a book, like a Stephen yeah. King book. It's very. It's there's a lot of like notes of Stephen King yeah. in it. He was a fan of this actually. Yeah. So I, I read that as well. What I yeah. read. Um, but Ooh. no, th- this would Ooh. definitely be stretched out over a, a TV series. Yeah, because yeah. they don't make... Which is why I've been going to see... There's a lot of, you know, original movies being made or being released at the moment. So Bodies, 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 um, see how they run, as Simon's alluded to there. You know, you've got to go and support these films, otherwise they'll stop mm. making them. And the ones that yeah. they make directly for Netflix largely don't hit, So and or have even smaller cultural re- relevance than something like Frailty that was released in theatres with a major movie star back in 2001. So, yeah, I'm, I want to get back to a period where they are making, you know, feature-length, mid-budget thrillers for adults. And this mm. is so this is very much in my wheelhouse. Yeah, we, yeah, we've always appealed for more genre stuff. Yeah, we? for sure. You know, yeah. like, give us genre movies. There's nothing wrong with genre. Mm. Nothing wrong with genre. If something's your jam, you want that jam, exactly. go with it. I think these films do suffer from the Netflix model because, like, you're just not they're just not going to get no justification for making them because they're no. just. Mm. I mean, I don't know. I don't really don't understand how they make the money anyway. You know, when they put like a the new Ryan Reynolds film on there, I I, I kind of don't get it. But they're not going to put a lot of effort into a film like this, and and films like this have fallen by the wayside, unfortunately. And and it is good that you you know you you are getting the odd couple coming up now. But yeah, support them. And at the cinema. Screw Netflix. <laughs> I need to cancel. It's because I need to cancel my subscription because I can't afford it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you guys. Yep. Um, give me some Paxton content. But no, it's uh, it, it's quite an immediate start, isn't it? It's oh, yeah. gorgeous Powers Booth coming back to the pod. After a few weeks, Prima Gruber um, looking absolutely This gorgeous. is his Hall of Fame performance as well. So he's in the rafters Oh, they're now. the three, yeah, because we, we yeah. established he was in Sudden, Sudden Impact. Was it Sudden Impact? Sudden, sudden Death. death. Sudden uh, death. Yeah, Sudden so Death. Yeah. quite spectacular in Sudden Death. In sudden death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love Powers Booth so much. Mm. And he is brilliant in this. Yeah. And the thing is, he's got one of those faces that you always know he's going to end up being a wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's so great. We will be getting into spoilers, by the way. Uh, if you haven't seen Frailty, you should rent it because we're going to have to ruin the movie in order to uh, in order to fully discuss it. But, uh, like big time. Because not only is there like one reveal, there's two reveals, three, four, five. There's about four reveals. twists yeah. in the final Yeah, time. yeah. yeah. Yes. It, it really does. It's like Mario Kart by the end of it. It's going all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Powers Booth is is going back to is is an FBI agent. He's going back to the office. He's been called in because there's a mysterious guy who's just rocked up to his office who can shed light on this case of this spate of um, murders that's been going on 
and this guy claims to know who the killer is. And it's lovely Matthew McConaughey. Gorgeous, pre-Magic Mike. Pre- this was his rom-com phase, wasn't it? 2001. He was just yeah. about to enter his rom-com just phase. About to yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, and this isn't stuck a in that for like obviously. 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's not. I think the biggest, possibly the biggest hit he'd had prior to this was uh, the historically inaccurate U571 the submarine movie, which is a good entertaining movie. With Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton was in that. With as well, Bill Paxton, yeah. yeah, yeah. And John Bon Jovi, where they crack the Enigma code on the submarine. <laughs> 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 uh, but it's a it's a fun movie. When was the cause he was in um a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, wasn't he? So that That, that was, must have been early nineties. Like that was around Dazed and Confused time, I would think. Oh yeah, that's it. He's had a long career, hasn't he, McConaughey? Very long, yeah. He has. He's he's in this. He's he's got to a point where he's super dishy and watchable. Oh yeah. Well, they, well so he he starts off. He, he claims he's um, Fenton Meeks. He, he's he's called, and he says that the serial killer is his brother Adam. Um, and then it's like Powers Booth's like, well, how do you know this? And then this is where. What are the- you doing here, you son of a bitch? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so the film is essentially just uh, it's it's this conversation between Powers Booth and Matthew McConaughey, and it's all told in flashbacks and callbacks and um, dashing all over a timeline. Which is a really effective way to tell a story like this, I think. I think it's a... Yeah. Because it, it first, rather than immediately going back to his childhood passage, is where the most, of the most of the film is. It just has the brief moment where he says, oh, I know it's my brother, um, Adam, who's done this. And then it's, it's, it, he shoots himself, doesn't he? Adam is like a... Yeah, yeah. A really... And McConaughey's obviously topless. Of course he is. Um, while drinking beer. Drinking beer. <laughs> what was it? Do I have to take my shirt off, Mr. Paxton? <laughs> <laughs> I was so pleased when I saw that. Like, uh, you know, like, oh, there he is, the contractual obligation. Absolute, absolute hunk of, hunk of chunk. Um, Would you ever sit in your living room with no shirt on? I, I don't, because everyone can really see into my... Although, having said that, when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is do the washing up from the night before. And the window above my sink is just the top half. And you can't really see the six, so people must just think I'm cracking one off every morning because I've got my tops off <laughs> and I'm there washing, washing the pots. So you just see the top naked half and just vigorous movements. <laughs> but if you had a shirt on, they wouldn't think you were cracking one off. Well, they, well, no, I think I think it's like, is he naked? What is he doing? And then you immediately think that. Um, yeah. You know, it was like chat roulette, wasn't it? That was the joke on chat roulette, where it was people like doing this, and then they'd reveal that they were just washing a plate. <laughs> you just did it to us then, because I couldn't see your hands originally. <laughs> so yeah, uh, but no, no. Apart from the first thing in the morning, doing the washing up, I don't really walk around my house topless. No, no. But if I, I look like Matthew McConaughey, I probably oh, I would. would. I'd never have a shirt on. <laughs> Absolute babe. Um, You'd yeah. have it as a like like we imagine he does as a contractual obligation to <laughs> like your ownership of your house or something that you have to spend at least fifty percent of the time with no shirt on. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Oh god, it's, I mean, if you've got it, flaunt it. It's good that even in this movie they managed to get him in a shot with no shirt on, and he's yes, probably, yeah. he probably only did like maybe what a week 
10 days on this movie tops like because he seems like he's in it a lot because there's voiceover but he's yes, only in about yeah. five he's scenes not, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's mainly yeah. Paxton and the kids isn't it yeah it is yeah, yeah which this film really tripped me up because I didn't know anything about it really going in uh, apart from the log line that um, a man confesses that his brother might be a serial killer so I thought it was going to be more of a Silence of the Lambs type set up bit of a cat and mouse thing with like Paxton trying to as an FBI agent trying to um, trying to capture the killer, but then when it flashes back to the summer of 1979, and then we don't come back from there really, apart from periodically. I was like, oh, this is the whole movie. Then mm. I thought that maybe uh, yeah, that um, it would have been. I didn't realize it was going to have that flashback structure, and it was uh, it was quite nice actually. Um, yeah. It's great to go into something so cold, uh, so cold, having only having only read the log line really and i thought it was going to be more of a thriller rather than it's more of a psychological horror film isn't mm, it it's it is it's, it's definitely veers on the horror side because as i say it's it's got shades of stephen king and and then um it's very in terms of how the movie's made it's very m night shyamalan-esque as well mm. not that he's got an exclusive exclusivity to that type of film but it does it is in in that sort of vein like if you dig his movies then i'm pretty sure yeah. you would get a lot of this and absolutely um yeah again if you haven't seen the film please yeah yeah hit pause and, and go and catch it before before you listen any further because it is it's a it's probably a good thing that this film hasn't had such a cultural impact like the sixth sense say where everyone knows what yeah. the fucking ending is mm. whereas this one i don't think people would um so it's it's nice to get a film that genuinely surprises you because it's quite a rarity these days. Even if it's a brand Absolutely, new film, yeah. yeah, it's going to be ruined somewhere along the line before you actually see it. So, yeah, it's great. And I, even though I'd seen this movie long ago, I I still kind of forgot a lot of it. Um, so it was still it mm. was still a nice surprise. The fifty turns it makes, and I think Shyamalan's um, influence, in particular, The Sixth Sense hangs heavy over this because i think yeah. once that was a huge hit a lot of very twisty thrillers went into into production straight away so this comes out what two years after it was the six cents 99 yes it was it yes. was yeah i was gonna yeah, say so this comes out this too helped? so basically every studio who's got a, a script that's got like a massive third act rug pull it's like right get that into production straight <laughs> yeah. away like, yeah because you have yeah. things like the gift as well remember that sam raimi yeah. movie that yeah, came yeah. out that's yeah it's not as good as this and quite a few others where and um david kep's stir of echoes as well that was like mm. quite a twisty supernatural mm. thriller so yeah i think you can tell definitely as with everything that happens in Hollywood, the six cents is the surprise smash, and then all the other studios take the wrong lessons from it and just try it. Right, have we got any scripts that have got twists in the final acts that we can make for mm. relatively low budget and then mark it on the fact that there's a big rug pull towards the end? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it is amazing how it does go through... Hollywood does go through um, trends. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting, and you know, it, as we can see now, with all these whodunits coming out all of a sudden, mm. you know, you do get that one film that's an unexpected hit, as you say, Sixth Sense, Knives Out, a few years ago. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. How it's all very cyclical, and you know, it's based on trends and fashions and unoriginal ideas. It's almost as if a lot of the people running the studios don't really know what they're doing. They're just riding the waves. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, uh, it's it's it, it's it's still 
yeah, very, it's very much in the vein of Sixth Sense, but um, a successful, I don't want to say imitation, I think that's a bit unfair. Yeah, but it, I, only, I, in, I the, only in the sense that there's quite, it's quite twist-heavy towards the end. The yeah, filmmaking sure. is not yeah. the same, or, no, no um, yeah. and it's much more, I don't want to say grounded, because The Sixth Sense is quite a grounded movie, to be fair. It feels mm. more lived in and more um, salt-of-the-earth type characters. Yeah, that, and it's like the sort of location where it's in. Is it like a, a sort of fictional town in Texas, is it? And, yeah. you know, all the actors are Texans, and it does have that sort of made-for-TV look about it It does well. a bit, doesn't it? Which, which because some of the cinematography is really great. Mm. Uh, like, a lot of the stuff in the, in the graveyard sequences are really atmospheric. And I looked at the guy who shot this. It was a guy called um, Bill Butler. Mm. Can you name any of the other films that he might have made? Uh, I I definitely fire in the sky. <laughs> okay, no, it does have a look of that. Though, yeah, that's that's what I thought. It does, it does it? kind of look like fire in the sky. That's it really it. does. So here we go. He's got Greece, you know, um, with Olivia Newton-John. Oh, that one, John Travolta. Yeah, he he shot that. Several Rocky sequels, two, three, and the greatest film of all time, Rocky Four. Wow. And uh, also oh, this yeah. other film. Uh, about a bunch of blokes who try and catch a fish called Jaws. No. He shot Jaws. No. The guy. <laughs> oh he did God. not. He did. Wow. Well, after Jaws, he was probably like, I can't be dicked anymore. I'm just going to do easy, low-budget, grounded movies. <laughs> and a shitload of Rocky sequels. A yeah. of Rocky sequels. <laughs> That's how you coast into retirement after the biggest wow. movie of all time. How did how Whoa. did we that? That's absolutely shocking. But what, yeah, I mean, it it does have. I mean, is it down to budget? Is it down to the sort of shoot locations? Is that what Paxton was going for? I I don't really know. But yeah. it, it does kind of have that sheen of a made for TV movie. Yeah, it's almost like a, you know a, a movie of the week sort of hallmark feel to it and then um bill paxton's character who's like established as like a really caring dad he's a single father looking after his two boys he's got a really nice family unit he's going to help the kid with his maths homework and then he wakes his kids up in the middle of the night and it turns out he's an absolute lunatic (laughs) (laughs) it's like watching this scene my jaw was just going lower and lower and lower because like, i did not see this coming at no all. no it, it it is a it's a as i say about how my brother sold it to me based on the premise um and it is a really good setup uh, <laughs> I, I mean i'm really gutted for the boys that they didn't get to go and sneak into a screening of the warriors um because that was yeah. their plan before their dad went absolutely bug nuts but <laughs> he tells them that he was been visited by an angel who has told him he's been visited by an angel? He's got to do God's work to kill the demons that are running amok in um, on on the earth, and he'll get given holy weapons and a list of people to kill. And it's like, oh wow! And apparently, it's like sort of loosely based on a real case, a murder case, mm. where a, a, yeah. a guy was was just murdering people with his son, claiming it was the divine right of God. But it's a, it's a good story. It's a good hook, I think. And one of the kids is like, yeah, I'm in on this. Like the <laughs> little kid, right. Adam, is like, yeah, yeah, this is right on my street. Whereas the older brother's like, what? <laughs> what, what, what are we doing now? Yeah. <laughs> You're a mechanic. What are you talking about? The the two boys, I I, I don't recognise the older one, but the younger one is played by um, Jeremy Sumter from um, Friday Night Lights. And he was Peter Pan as well. 
in one of the, oh, right. the, cool. the Peter Pan, you know, the one with oh, Jason geez, Isaacs. He was. Peter Pan. I thought I, re- I thought I recognised him. Yeah, he does have one of those really recognisable yet punchable faces. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, he was he was the the younger brother, um, Adam, yeah. who was the one who was really on board with following his dad. And I guess it makes sense that he's the younger one because he just adores his dad, doesn't he? And it's whatever his dad he says, does, yeah. he'll, mm. he will follow. Whereas Fenton is. He's, he's like a t- is he a teenager like a young teenager yeah he's about 12 give or take, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so like you know becoming his own man and and what have you and he's the one who challenges it and 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 that's how this story unravels it's like as his dad progresses through getting this list getting these magical um weapons. magical weapons oh my god this was the funniest thing i've ever seen in my life <laughs> what, what so uh, th- there were supposed to be three right is the gloves classed as a weapon Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. See, that yeah. was the thing. I was like, "You've only given him two. What?" So the, his magical weapons are a pair of ratty old gardening gloves. <laughs> I can't touch the demons with my bare hands. <laughs> uh, an axe called Otis. Mm. <laughs> Just a Don't, I, I, I love it so <laughs> much. The, the, the basic, honestly, it's the, like the Cluedo. Cluedo weapon, the lead pipe. I was expecting one of the. If there was more weapons, what what would it be next? Like a sock full of pennies, or, <laughs> <laughs> or just, just a solitary brick. <laughs> oh, Kevin McAllister's faith. He was on a biblical crusade as well, wasn't he? <laughs> You're demons. It, it's really over the top, and I kind of think it's intentional. And you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, as we say, there are some a lot. Of, there are quite a few unintentionally funny bits in this film, but the bit where he like finds the weapons and it's just like this: the sun comes through the clouds, doesn't it, and, and shines on this barn, and then Paxton goes over, and it's just this lovely glowing light on an axe with the gloves next to it. And there's all these little moments in the film where you like. Is it real or is he just a bit mad? And there's, <laughs> yeah. the, there's that constant like push and pull of whether it is actually, you know, are we in a real world? Are we in a this guy's just losing his mind? Or are we in a mysterious Twilight Zone type film where anything's possible and this thing could actually happen? And I think there's that constant push and pull, but then with the presence of Fenton, you're generally more on that side of being like, yeah, this is pretty bad what my dad's doing. (laughs) (laughs) Such an understatement. (laughs) Such a glossing over. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, because what is he doing? Oh, he's just kidnapping random people and murdering them (laughs) with an axe. But are they random people? Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, uh, can we do um at this point can I instigate a because I don't think we've had one yet, a twist count. Yes. So as as we discuss the movie's beats going forward, we'll do a count. So as um, as people who hadn't seen it and didn't know anything about the film, would you class that as a twist that the dad had to fight demons? No, actually, because I still think we're in the first part of the I bloody do. I was, I was <laughs> not expecting that at all. <laughs> No, I, I don't think it is because I still think it's part of the. That's the setup, yeah. Yeah, it's it is, part yeah. of the setup, isn't it? Yeah. But you're right; it's a bold <laughs> direction to suddenly go in. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Is it a twist? I wasn't expecting it to have a supernatural element to no, it. No, neither was I. 
I was expecting it to be more procedural yeah, at all. But even at that point, it's not you're not explicitly told it's a supernatural element. It's just that oh god, he's having visions, and you we're never privy to the visions. And apparently, that's um, going through the trivia that that's one of James Cameron's suggestions because apparently Paxton wanted every time he touched the demons. Oh no, they are well, they are, aren't they? The demons to oh, well, that's giving the end of the way. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so sorry, but. Um, uh, we have to talk, we have a yeah, we're course, some yeah. discussion, aren't we? You know, so um, yeah, it, it was Cameron who said, "Look, why don't you hold all that to the end? Hold yeah. the re- reveal at the end that he is seeing something when he touches them, seeing yeah. what they've done, that kind of thing." He's a smart cookie, that James Cameron, isn't yeah, he? He's got an idea he's, on this. He knows what he's doing. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's a great note as well because it wouldn't have worked as well if it was explicit that he was having godly visions or whatever you want to call them when he touched the people that he kidnapped with his bare hands. He sees that they're murderers and child molesters and all sorts of horrendous. I mean, it's a really, really dark movie. It is. It uh, is a dark movie. I think that's what a lot of the... When there were criticisms about it, it was because it was a bit too violent and in particular i think the first person he kidnaps is a is a young woman yeah i believe there were walkouts in test screenings yeah at that moment it's not a gory movie though no not like, at all it's not, not all. gratuitously violent it's more implied and it's just yeah creepy and horrible and really disturbing because he's got his two boys there he's got his two boys mm. there and it's very religious as well and i think maybe americans are a bit uncomfortable when it's sort of criticizing religion to that degree where you're sort of doing these obscene things in god's name and it is a bit of a finger point towards the extremism of of religion and maybe you know maybe that's why they were feeling uncomfortable about it because it's a very religious place america particularly texas yeah and then maybe that was just they were a bit uncomfortable seeing all these things associated with god and a family unit you know, a, a, what is essentially a wholesome guy. Well, it's Bill Paxton playing him. And I think that, yeah. you know, even though he's put himself as effectively the lead in his own film, it works because you love Bill Paxton. He's great. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And that is part of the reason why it works. Look, he's just a hard-working single parent trying to spend some quality time with his boys, <laughs> right? <laughs> you can't call him neglectful. He's with those boys all the time. Oh, he jolly is. <laughs> you know, maybe spending time with your dad is just not the best thing. Like, don't try and get your kids into the stuff that you're into. Is uh, Let them find their own. That, <laughs> that's, that's the message, the message of the film. Don't hang out with your dad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you no, you should not, as a parent, you should not try and force your interests onto your children. And one of them, if you get them young enough, then you can brainwash them. <laughs> <laughs> but when they're going to be teenagers, they're not going to play ball and you're going to end up with an axe in your chest. So it's... <laughs> All right, but that, 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 um, that, the, the, the layers of the reveal of, of the Paxton was right. You know, that he was yeah. seeing demons and he was, you know, because the way it's portrayed and the way, sorry, the way that the story is delivered is, um, adds so much more to the mystery and the complexity of the story. If it was just that we knew he was seeing things, you know, the, you'd be like, well, none of those other reveals can really happen. 
Yeah. If we'd been told from the very beginning that it was because he was actually seeing demons or whatever. Absolutely, yeah. But the fact that we don't know adds so much drama to this. Yeah, because we we sort of see the film through Fenton's eyes and he's like, no, my dad's just lost his mind and he's murdering innocent people. Yeah. And he's making me and my brother complicit in this. He's making us dig the graves. <laughs> It's so terrible, isn't it? And build him a dungeon under the shed. (laughs) Oh, that was awful. That was absolutely awful. But, you know, kids weren't hanging around on street corners, though, were they? No. (laughs) They 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 were were in the house behaving. (laughs) Let's mention, let's talk about the score. So when, um, Mm. whenever the dad, well, you don't, you never get his name, do you? He's just called, he's just Father Meeks. Yes. Is he is he, in the credits? He's like Dad Meeks or something. Yeah. Like. But when he touches the demons, it's like you could almost picture the orchestra like waiting and watching, watching the film on a big screen, waiting for him to touch them, and then it's like ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> everything goes mental, like hell for leather. Whenever he makes contact with one of these so-called <laughs> demons, the composer Brian Tyler is like, wait for it, wait for it, and he's like a big time composer he's these massive, days. Isn't he? He's he done really a, is. a number of Marvel films, Iron Man three, uh, one of the Avengers movies, and he's been on this pod before because he scored uh, Sly Stallone's Last Blood, which I think did we cover oh, that earlier we? this year? Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he was also he also did the one before it as well the. The one where Sly is, I'm, I'm always toying to bring this to the podcast, but where he's in the Cambodian jungle just murdering everyone. That was the comeback Rambo, wasn't it? The, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so good as well. I haven't seen that. You've not seen? Oh, I think I'm so yeah. violent. It's one of the most violent films I've ever seen. It really is. It, there are some moments in that where you just can't believe what you're witnessing, really. Uh Anyway, but yeah, Brian Tyler on on the on his head on music. <laughs> yeah, Does that work? on music. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the string orchestra. I think it's one of his early scores because, like, he he is quite a big deal composer nowadays. Um, yes. So yeah, um, it's one of his early ones, and yeah, it, I I quite like it. Where at the beginning, you know, where it's uh, you've got all the press cuttings of the various murders and things like that. And uh, it's quite a foreboding mm. score, and yeah, really sets mm. the tone. But yeah, I, I, yeah, the um, it is a bit OTT whenever <laughs> Bill Paxton touches the touches the demons. <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe like you know, because when they when they filmed it, they sort of had to do it in music because obviously, if if Paxton's original idea was to like have loads of effects and cut into various things of these demons or whatever demons demons <laughs> and then jim cameron's gone yeah don't do that mate and then he's like oh well i've not really got any coverage giving the game away and Bill. i've just got like have just... i taught you nothing he flips over <laughs> <laughs> just paxton just like giving it large while he touches them and it's like we've got really not got anything visually you know we didn't shoot it especially the camera's quite steady what do we do? And then the composer's like, it's all right, mate, I've got this. I'll just... Yeah, I'll cover this. Give I? it... Go go nuts on the, on the music. <laughs> but I do, I do think it works not showing anything because, it's again, it's that push and pull of whether he's being... Yeah. He is coming from a place true. of true or whether it's not. And I think if you do show that, you kind of... It makes it less blurry. And I like how it is a bit like we... Yeah. You know, our our perceptions as humans are just like... Oh, he's obviously nuts. Mm. But then there's just these odd little bits that say, "Oh, hang on, 
Whereas if you're being a bit more explicit with it, then it's going to make the reveal ultimately less impactful, I think. So, yeah, it was a good decision in the end. Mm. I would say if he hadn't taken that note, he would have completely ruined the entire film because the ambiguity would just be gone. Yes. And the drama goes Where would the tension be? It's yeah. just like, oh, Fenton, get in line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's exactly. destroying demons. He's not a murderer. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's John Constantine. <laughs> Absolutely. You've got to fight alongside John yeah. Constantine. You'd have no, sim- you'd have no um, interest in Fenton's plight at all. Yeah. Because you'd be totally invested in Paxton. Yeah. But yeah, so um, Fenton. Fenton now, kills his dad. Well, I mean, yeah, because. <laughs> they abduct he, another he, dude who's clearly a wrong one as oh, well. Oh, yeah, he's a right little <laughs> shit, isn't he? Fenton gets. As a kid, it's really horrible because he's he's really against his dad and he's really trying to convince mm. his little brother who he's losing more and more by the day. And um, he, he like puts him in a little basement, does he, and just leaves him alone. Yeah. They made him dig. Until he sees... <laughs> yeah, they made him dig until he sees, sees guard, which he <laughs> eventually does. But he says he does. Well, he says he does to get out the hole. And then, yeah, he just... Fenton just realises what needs to be done and ends up shiving his dad in the chest. Well, a bit more than a shiv. It's a massive axe to the chest. You played parson with me, boy! (laughs) No, honestly, when it happened, it was like, oh my God, a heel turn! Oh! Yeah, I, I totally um, forgot about it. It really went like, I was like, fucking hell, he's absolutely <laughs> shafted his dad. <laughs> and then from there, he actually becomes a... This is where I got slightly confused. Me too. Fenton actually grew up to be a real-life serial killer, didn't he? Because that's who Powers Booth is actually chasing, and that's why Fenton, in quotation marks, who's actually Adam, played by Matthew McConaughey, that's why he killed his brother because he was a demon, and um, demon, and he needed taking down. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? Yeah. So it's not Matthew McConaughey is not actually Fenton. He is actually Adam, the younger brother, who was really on board yeah. with what his dad's mission was. That's twist one. That's twist one. Yeah. When he says, um, it "Would be if you were talking to Fen." Yeah. Do you want me to take my shirt off, Powers Booth? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about, about Matthew, but I want Powers Booth to take his shirt off. Shall we both take our shirts off? We'll get more chicks if we take our shirts off. <laughs> Out here in this rose garden. <laughs> yeah, so they're in this rose garden, which, to be fair, like, does no one ever visit the rose garden? Because the graves are, like, really obvious. <laughs> they're rubbish yeah. graves. Honestly, it's like... You can Hell. tell they've been dug by kids. <laughs> Just like big mounds of, of adult-shaped, but like mounds of dirt. And it's like, if anyone visits the Rose Garden, it's like, is that not a bit suspicious? <laughs> There's just these six-foot-ish place spades of dirt, like mounds of dirt. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, Adam is... It's not surprising that a child who had to go through that would sort of have some sort of PTSD. Mm. But then he says, um, in trying to stop, because Adam disappeared, didn't he? And he, and Fenton mm. couldn't find him. Mm. So he said the only way to get him back was to kill these people. So um, I get on his list, or at least he notices to then come home. I mean, I'm sure there's a better way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> there's that thing with both what Adam and his dad. The idea that they have is like, oh no, they're not murderers. It's like I've never killed anyone in my life because no. it doesn't count when I it's... destroy demons. I destroy demons. Yeah. Yeah. I take my shirt off and I destroy demons. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Adam Adam took the mantle to kill the demons from his dad. Um 
is this a second twist when what's revealed it was actually true because uh, Adam as a boy was see it whenever his dad touched was seeing yeah. the visions was seeing the visions yeah. And and it's almost like two and three at the same time that his dad was as well. That his dad wasn't lying. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So he, you've got his dad was right all along that there there were the demons. Adam was the only one who could see it with him. And then it's revealed that Powers Booth is one of these bad people. <laughs> Number four. So that's another one. Like uh, just gorgeous. It goes back to gorgeous vintage Powers Booth with his sideburns and lovely wig. <laughs> It's so funny. I come absolutely... here, mama. Yeah, just kills his mama. <laughs> Him and his mama over by the <laughs> by the washing. Absolutely outrageous laundry scenes. And then Adam takes the latest person on his list and just axes him and with a freshly dug shallow grave, which he'll no doubt cover really haphazardly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's four twists because there's a fifth coming. <laughs> I'd say there's two more. <laughs> Would you? Yeah, yeah. I think I've got a post credits one as well. Well, I love actually. the, I love the like. Uh, so it, it goes back to the there's a, the sort of colleague of Powers Booth's FBI agent, isn't there? Where he's like, there was this weird guy who came in and you know chatted to him. So he was the last person to see him, and they're trying to find out who he is. Yeah. And then they look at the CCTV, and it's just all conveniently yeah. blocked off to cover his face. And again, this is another one of the moments where you're like, oh, this is divine intervention. This is, it's actually real. Yeah. Is this the final twist when... It turns out that... Yeah, this FBI agent goes to the local sheriff's office and speaks to the sheriff. And who's the sheriff? <laughs> I love it. Adam. Yeah, Adam. McConaughey Adam. coming out in his lovely sheriff's outfit, as he is in um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well. He's a he's a cop in sheriff in Texas Chainsaw Massacre in his gorgeous Texas outfit. Yeah, and he's that's his cover for the whole for the whole thing. So that is that six twists um, now. Yeah, I think I, I had five, five, four. No, that's I don't the fifth a lot. That's the fifth. The sixth yeah. one, I actually yeah. didn't know until I read the trivia on IMDb. Yeah. Is that? Was when they come out the sheriff's office at the end, and you know he shakes his hand and he's like, no, he doesn't see anything, does he? And he's like, yeah, you're a good man, agent. You're a good man. I ain't got no quarrel with you. <laughs> and then. That's it, fade to black, you know, end of the film. But two kids drive past on scooters, and the two kids are Adam and Fenton when they were kids. Yeah, the kids, the, the, actors, the actors who played, who played. young I mean, Adam. I'm sure it was probably, we haven't got enough budget to hire, you know, you're available, can you just do that, and then we'll fade off before you notice. <laughs> you want to just scoot past that little sheriff's officer? Yeah. <laughs> um, scoot! <laughs> They do. They literally scoot past on scooters. (laughs) Again, this going off the IMDb, I think it was based on a DVD commentary, which Paxton did. And he just said it just adds to the Twilight Zone-ness of it, where it's like, this isn't normal. This is a peculiar story with peculiar people. And it's all a bit like, hmm... Interesting. <laughs> Can I add a seventh possible twist? Yeah. Um, for me, the entire film is shot in soft focus, isn't it? And I think the entire film. And the obviousness of some of the things that get done. You know, like the... Well, the graves. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't subtle. No. Um, when they, you know, they, they catch that dude and it's sort of... It's supposed to be Fenton's first kill, isn't it? Yeah. But... They're so unsubtle about it in the street, whacking in with a lead pipe and all this. And none of it's very subtle at all. And it got me to thinking that is this, you know, is this a parable? 
is this just you know a fable you know is it is none like a of modern it. day bible story yeah yeah it's none of it real well you know yeah. um yeah it's certainly a reading of it for sure absolutely yeah but that's a possible so there could be a seventh i think so because it's all about how evil can corrupt and the insidiousness of um religious devotion and things like that that's all there under the surface mm. i think yeah, mm. it is. It's interesting. I'd never thought of that, Rob. But now you mentioned it, yeah, I think that that's a really good reading of it. That it's just like a Old Testament style parable. Yeah, it could just be a Bible book, you know, like um, yeah, yeah, the Book of Paxton, mm. <laughs> <laughs> New Testament Book of Paxton. Oh, wow. God bless him. God bless that guy. I just love him so much. Gone far too soon. And Powers Booth, but. Died, died as well. In yeah, both heinous perishment. Uh, love them both. Heinous perishment. Who <laughs> says that phrase ever? They weren't murdered by Papa Meeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a heinous perishment. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna like generate a series of um, FYR um, sympathy cards. <laughs> so sorry to hear about your family member's <laughs> heinous perishment. <laughs> <laughs> At least he wasn't killed by Papa Meeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, so, should we do some best bits? Mm. Oh, yeah, for sure. What do you got? It's hard to sort of zero in on a favourite bit of a film that's so bleak and creepy, but uh, there was one moment that actually made me laugh out loud. <laughs> so Bill Paxton wakes the kids up in the middle of the night and like <laughs> gives them the whole lowdown on what's going on and now they're demon slayers, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and then it rolls around to the next morning. He's like, right, get up for school. Come on, boys. I'm, you're running late. Let me drive you to school. And everything's just normal. They're just eating breakfast in the car. Fenton's like, oh, thank God. It was just all a really wacky dream and everything's fine. <laughs> Kids are going into school. Bill Paxton sticks his head out the window and goes, Don't tell anybody about all that crazy shit that I did. <laughs> 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 Just like, oh, by the way, don't forget that your granddad's picking you up after school. <laughs> it's just so, so offhand. <laughs> don't forget there were demon slayers now, boys. <laughs> So that's it. That adds to the argument that this is all an over-the-top parable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, say? Um, I mean, I, I particularly liked, uh, from a filmmaking perspective, the, the gorgeous cross-dissolve from Fenton's scared face to a statue of a dog in the Rose Garden. <laughs> <really nice. laughs> um, and then also Fenton disappearing into the darkness like he, uh, Sam Neill did in Event Horizon. Oh, year. yes. Jolly no. nice. Very good. Um, <laughs> but now my favourite bit, and again, it's one of these that I, I burst out laughing at this point. And I thought this is what you were going to say, James, was it's when Paxton is um, visited by the angel for the first time. Uh, and he's on the underside, because he's a car mechanic, isn't he? He's on the underside of a car. <laughs> And the car like morphs into like a church, doesn't it? Like the ceiling of a church. And then some angel comes down and his sword sets aflame and some choir rises and it's just this really epic moment. But then it just cuts away to this really, really hilarious just side shot of Paxton under the car. <laughs> Everything's going on as not. <laughs> so it's just, you've got all this like, oh, 
Oh, and then it just cuts, and it's like, have you got that monkey wrench there, Bob, over there? So <laughs> <laughs> just him just under a car. And then and then it cuts back into the into that shot, and it's like the chorus again. I just, I don't know. I don't know if that was intentional, but I just burst out laughing at that cut of just going to that normal cut out of the... Oh, fucking brilliant. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> So good. I, I, I mean, the you, joke was on us because you get that's all before all the super disturbing stuff starts happening, yeah. and you get brought back down with a bump. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, this is crazy. What's <laughs> going on here? Yeah, love that moment. Um, I think for myself, um, I'm going to go with something a little more technical. Actually, Ooh. I know it's a rarity, isn't it? <laughs> um, it's it's not someone, someone getting, getting shot in the balls. Or <laughs> With this massive swaddled <laughs> genitalia exploding. Say <laughs> uh, the way of the gun. If interested yeah. in that. <laughs> uh, it was um, yeah. So uh, at the end, when um, uh, McConaughey and Booth approach the rose garden and they get out of the car, and the camera tracks to a uh, statue on the floor. And then it rises, it pauses for a second, then it rises in the same shot to the two boys digging the grave mm. back in the past. Uh, so it's like the two time frames in the same shot. I thought it was amazing how they've done that. Yeah. Um, it looked absolutely, it, there's got to be a, a cut in there somewhere. Yeah, it's like a match cut, isn't yeah. it? I just couldn't fathom where it was. And it looked like just the same the same shot. Just like, It looked like one shot. Yeah, Couldn't be. Oh, could it? I think I, just don't know. I think there's a lot of like traditional filmmaking in this. It's very mm. you know, apart from that floaty down angel with his flaming sword. <laughs> it's all practical, isn't it? And and everything is done in camera, and it's all very edited, really old school as well. It's you know just cross dissolves and things like that. And it's it's a very unspectacular way to make a film, but it's like the tr- most traditional way to make a film, mm. which is both. Perhaps it's you know a bad thing and a good thing. I don't know, but yeah, I think that's a good point to like. There is some good filmmaking in this, which can easily be forgotten. Oh, there genuinely amongst is, yeah. the sort of look it's got. You know, the quite dreary, dull, made-for-TV look it's got. But there's some good stuff in here. Mm. There's a lot of good stuff. I feel on that topic. Uh, FYR, James, you want to go? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I was impressed by frailty. I know we've just sort of been. Picking it apart a little bit, but um, I'm slightly disappointed that Paxton didn't direct a lot more films after this one. As mm-hmm. I found this to be a controlled, expertly crafted, and low key disturbing piece of psychological horror. Some of the editing is a little televisual, and I'm not entirely sure that all of the twists, all 17 of them, <laughs> are as clever given what when what goes before. But it has this sort of bold creepy dynamic that really gets under your skin as well as a collection of really good performances that help to sell the authenticity of the story's more outlandish elements i think the kids are really good actually mm, they are yeah because really... child actors can you know when they're on screen as much as these two boys are it's a sink or swim mm. situation for the movie so they're really both very solid what i like about it though most of all 
it's that rare movie that has the balls to end with the revelation that the supposedly ins- insane people were in fact right all along. They are demons. <laughs> I mean, I won't be in a hurry to watch it again as the subject matter is pretty heavy, but as unheralded horror films go, the listeners could do a hell of a lot worse this spooky season. Mm. I think it's pretty solid stuff and... Uh, yeah, I, I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. Nice. That's good to yeah. hear. Jolly good. What about you, Rob? Uh, I will say I absolutely loved it. <laughs> um, I, you know, I love genre movies anyway. I absolutely love them. I don't know what genre this is, <laughs> but um, I really, really enjoyed it. I, um, and I totally agree. I wish Paxton had directed more. I wish he'd acted more. I wish he was still alive. You know, I just love that guy so much. Um, and he's a really sort of like thoroughly, genuinely believable f- screen presence as well. Like you just root for him helplessly, even when he's killing demons. It's always re- instantly likable, isn't it? No matter what he's doing. He is, yeah. Um, there's so much I enjoyed about this. Um, I actually found it, like even though the subject matter is deeply uncomforting, I found the movie's structure and delivery and the look of it very comforting. Um, so I really, really enjoyed it. It was like a blanket of horrible stuff. <laughs> which just really but nice. we're still warm. <laughs> yeah, still somehow warm, uh, possibly because of all the bodies. <laughs> there. Um, it was, no, I, I just really liked it. You're absolutely right, James. The kids' performances were really, really good and totally believable. Um, I think I followed it. Which for me is a big thing, uh, especially when there's five twists or six <laughs> or seven or however many we counted. Uh, so I, I just think it's like a, an unknown gem, mm. to be honest. Yeah. Unknown gem. Um, and if you like your stories to be dark and unpredictable, you absolutely can't go wrong here. Mm. So yeah, full marks from me. Definitely reconsider. Awesome. What about you, then, sir? Yeah, it's great to hear you both liked it. Um because then I don't think I'd be able to pick a film again if you didn't. (laughs) Perhaps it's not the most spectacular-looking film, which is probably the reason for it to not have had such a lasting legacy. But in terms of story and how it's delivered through this variety of flashbacks and this ultimately unreliable narrator who is then reliable means you know it it doesn't need to look like a 50 million dollar movie to work i don't think it is an indie flick after all and i just think it's a really successful attempt at, at that stephen king-esque american film which as as we've touched on was probably only made because of the success of the sixth sense but it's definitely one of the better um the better ones to come off the back of that craze it's just a really solid film from front to back i think i think it's there's so much to get out of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Goes in directions that you can't fathom if you've only <laughs> read the one sentence logline <laughs> start of it. Imagine thinking it would be like an FBI procedural. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I was like, bloody hell, this is going some places. I'm, I'm enjoying this. Um, it would actually make if you wanted to do a double bill of uh, Bill Paxton doing uh, morally questionable stuff on screen, it would make a double, uh, great double bill with uh, Sam Raimi's A Simple Plan mm. as well, where where he's also doing a lot of murdering <laughs> <in that. laughs> good shout cinema from that era is always great yeah absolutely I always enjoy revisiting always love it outstanding fellows yeah listeners uh, if you want to catch up with frailty 
which I we all urge that you do. It's uh, yeah, it's probably best found on a prime rental. I think that's the best yeah. way yes. to describe it. Prime prime rental for me three three fifty. I think it yeah. is. Yeah, or if you happen upon it in a uh, in a charity shop in the DVD mm. part or something like that. Oh yeah, grab it. Yeah, it's grab good. grab grab. Um, super stuff. Um, thank you, fellows. Uh, next time we're cooking up something special. Um, so I. I'm going to, it's my pick, so I'm going to pick VHS 2 because the wonderful editor of that series is a chap called Tom Newell and he's going to come on and talk to us about VHS 2. I picked VHS 2 out of all the other VHS movies because one of the chapters in it, because it's an anthology, for those who don't know, it's an anthology found horror, uh, found footage horror movie. One of the chapters is a particularly heinous alien abduction one, <laughs> um, which made me absolutely pack my trousers. So um, I like that bag man in the way of the gun. And reversed. <laughs> my trousers were almost as packed as the bag man in the way of the gun. And also as explosive, um, I would add. Um, so yeah, but the wonderful thing about this is when I reached out to Tom to talk to him about this, one of his provisions for appearing was, can we talk about Van Damme while he's on? <laughs> for sure. I said, hell yes, we can, brother. We haven't discussed the muscles from Brussels for quite some time. So well, we haven't. Good. I've asked him to bring a qualifying movie to talk about. Uh, oh, so yeah. um, tune in for that one next time. Tom, thank you for saying yes. Appreciate it so much. And hope that VHS 99 is a huge success in the interim. Um, boys, it's always an absolute pleasure to hang out with you both. Thank you so much for everything. Listeners, please hang out with us on Twitter at FYI Film Pod. Yeah, now I can talk about the um, <laughs> resurrected email address uh, to reconsiderpod at gmail.com. Uh, please give us your five stars and your uh, subscription services of choice and tune in next time for VHS 2. Um, just as a point of note, you can get VHS on Shudder, which is part of the whole Prime uh, subscription-y thing. And you can just rent it or trial it. Whatever you want to do. I don't know. Lovely. Lovely stuff. Um, Boys, see you next time. Awesome. Say goodbye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. I was on a podcast recently, and I forgot it wasn't this podcast. (laughs) And when it got to near the end, I went, say goodbye, boys. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't go down very well. Didn't land. You, don't cross the You'll streams. Bill Paxton's Can't list. cross the streams. No, I really messed streams. up. I really messed up. Not as much as Bill Paxton as a parent <laughs> in this movie. He was doing so well. He's a good it? father. <laughs> I mean, he's he's an attentive one. We'll give him that. Yes. <laughs> he, he cares. <laughs> he's doing his bloody best. <laughs>